Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast. Today, my guest is Raven Scott, and we talk about how to navigate life with a narcissist. When we talk today about this, we are talking about true narcissistic personality disorder, not just somebody with narcissism. Raven is a survivor of narcissistic abuse. She is the podcast host of The Empath and the Narcissist, and she's written two books about this topic. So she's super well-versed. And when we are in relationships with somebody with narcissistic personality disorder, it can be very overwhelming. It can be confusing. And at times we can kind of doubt our own sanity and ourselves. And so today we talk about tools, tips, practical advice of how to navigate relationships with a narcissist. And definitely the most important thing is boundary setting, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. So I do think that this is an important issue. There's a lot of narcissists that have popped up in my life in the last couple of years, and they do somewhat leave like a trail of destruction in their path. And so as long as we're going into these relationships with our eyes open, that we understand what's going on, we don't sacrifice ourselves so that we can survive and have healthy boundaries and take care of ourselves. That's what's most important. And that's why I'm bringing this podcast to light today. So I hope you'll have some valuable takeaways Please take a moment to like, share, and subscribe. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast, a place to explore possibility through mindfulness, movement, and self-discovery. Our intention is to deliver insight and inspiration while fostering conversations that are genuine, unfiltered, and deeply human. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hi, Raven. Good morning. How are you today? Hi, Nikki. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Connected Community. I'm so happy to have you as my guest. Thank you for having me. Um, so today I want to explore how to navigate life with a narcissist. <laughs> um, and you have so much knowledge about this and you've written books about it and that you have a podcast about it. And this is your specialty is, is working with narcissists and you've had narcissists in your life. Um, so can we just start with like, what is a narcissist? Ooh, great question. Uh, in a sense, it is a personality disorder that is developed. Uh, it is more of a uh, nurture versus nature thing. So if anyone's asking, like, could I, like, have it in my genes? I mean, it is something that you learn. As an example, if you have a narcissistic parent, then that child can pick up on those traits. And then if there's anything that starts to trauma or entitlement or, you know, just not being taught to own your responsibilities, then that child grows up to be a narcissist. Um, it is a personality disorder. There's a whole bunch of toxic people with lots of wounds and brokenness like that are walking around in the world that are not narcissists. But a lot of us, because of the movement, we think that they are narcissists. But a true NPD has zero empathy, uh, has zero remorse for what they're doing, how they're manipulating, how they're gaslighting you. And all they can think about is themselves. Like there is zero room for anyone else's needs in their brain, in their body. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess the only time they're remorseful is if they feel like that human that they're directing towards starts pulling away, then there's this pulling back towards that person, right? 
oh, they know the game of empathy, but they don't have true empathy. They know mm -hmm. how to, to act out empathy. Uh, mm -hmm. But do they really truly have it? True NPD doesn't. They're just using it as a tactic to get you back in. Yeah. True people with true narcissistic personality disorder, they they see everything as a transaction. They see you as a commodity, not as another human being having raw conversations, allowing you to have your freedoms and your boundaries. It's very much like you are my toy, you are my trophy, and now like you do all the things to get them all the things you need to keep them. And then when they have you and you're comfortable, they place you on a shelf and dust collects and they neglect you. And mm -hmm. then when you leave, they do all those tactics all over again. And then they bring in that hope within you and they're like, oh, it'll be just like when we first met. Like this is why it takes multiple attempts to leave yeah. a narcissist because they know the game. They know how to pull at your heartstrings and give you that hope all over again that they will fix it and it will you know, be great. They'll even go to lengths to go to therapy with you, mm. uh, but they will manipulate the situation and then everything will be blamed onto you in yeah. that therapy session. Yeah. When I was in graduate school, we were talking about personality disorders and borderline personality and narcissistic. There's no way that you can read about it and understand it. And it happens to be like in the last five years, I've had two narcissists drop into my, my life and my reality. Um, <sighs> And they presented really differently. One was a male and one was a female. Um, and so it is interesting, like knowing those signs, but they're kind of sneaky, um, especially the male that the narcissist that came into my life. He was a really good friend of my myself and my husband. Like he became a really good friend. And I saw his narcissism was, was something dealing with women and relationships. And he had been married four times. Um, and Red flag. <laughs> so we started seeing some patterns with him, but mm. they were with women. And so I'm like, okay, we love this guy. We love him. So we're just going to separate him with women. Cause he's horrible with women as then as the person, what happened was it started to filter into my life. I had a friend that was single, newly single that had been hurt. And I, I had made the mistake of mentioning something like, let's pick her up. Let's go. We're going to all hang out, but she's really fragile. She's really emotional right now. Like, um, and so that was like, almost like a cue for him to like latch on. Yeah. And then I set that boundary. Like, you know, you can go anywhere, but not in my neighborhood, not in my friendship community. He ended up, um, getting together with my friend. So some friendships ended there. He ended up in a relationship with her. But the part that's surprising to me was that he was in this relationship for a couple of years before he kind of blew everything up and he always just kind of leaves a dust storm behind him and then he never looks back he doesn't They're like see, tornadoes like, so moving he, through life yeah yeah he destroyed my he's destroyed so many lives so in, in his he path. convinced your friend to um not be your friend and be with him is that what you said no i no it's a little bit more complicated than that i had seen him personally in so many different relationships and then i had warned her and I said to her like I can't support this relationship. I've seen what he's done to all of these women and I can't be like there for you and be there to support you when things fall apart. And I can't be happy about this relationship. And so I just need to kind of step back from that relationship. So I was the one that stepped away because I knew what was going to happen and okay. it did and it, and it happened. Um, but he was in his disguise for like, I would say almost a year or, or even longer. And so how do we, 
how do we take care of ourselves so that we don't find ourselves in relationships with narcissists because they can be sneaky? We get so, I guess the word is arrogant that comes to mind. It's like, well, that will never happen to me. And especially when you're in that uh, one-on-one with them, you think, well, he makes me feel so different and so special. So everyone else, all those other relationships that literally are evidence that there is a problem and those are your red flags, then you ignore them because mm-hmm. the psychological interaction between the two of you and that love bombing and then there'll be trauma bonds and all these things will happen and you think the whole time that you are different than everyone else. Mm-hmm. But you're just the same and his behavior is the same. And so if you can remove your own self from like being fully entrenched and believing that you are this super special, spectacular person they say you are, because mm-hmm. you are, but not that way, you know? Right. Then you can view all of the other evidence, like their actions in their past, their actions in their other relationships are red flags. They are evidence mm-hmm. and they will convince you that everyone else was crazy like four other women were crazy. Like, how could that be possible? Mm-hmm. But they're so charming and they they dive deep quick. So they know what are your things that make you tick? What are the things that make you have that hope and have that open heartedness? And then they play on those heartstrings. Mm-hmm. And so it it is really a matter of approaching everything with a filter. And especially that's why they go for the fragile because you aren't strong enough to have that filter. You Mm -hmm. aren't ready to be able to analyze anything. You're dealing with your own emotional trauma, your own emotional muck. And then they come in and they be your savior. That's what they thrive off of because they want to be the savior. Mm -hmm. And that is what hooks you in is they have the solution for everything. Yeah. And so if you start thinking of them as a savior, like what would they do? What would he say? Like, that's also a red flag because you need to be listening to you and your intuition, not what they yeah. would do. That, yeah. That's also a, a part where they've almost like wormholed their way into your brain and your heart. So that's yeah. another sign. Yeah. The, all that happened with her. Yeah. They ended up getting married um, and she yeah. was the fifth and they, the marriage lasted a very, very short time. Um, and the thing that was the most shocking to me and the reason I had to leave that friendship with him was that he literally makes a decision. I'm done. Walks away always with another woman in his pocket. And and he's mostly cheating during that, but then he's got another woman in his pocket, but he never looks back. There's no remorse. There's no self-reflection. There's no growth. There's no willingness to look at anything on his side. Um, And it's, it's really interesting. (laughs) It's like he, it's like, you know, like a spoiled brat kid is like, give them a toy, they play it for, for a second, and then they discard it and they throw it in the yeah. corner. And then they pick up another toy and they discard it and they throw it and they pick up another toy. I always view narcissists with that emotional intelligence of a preschooler, like of a tiny child. Yeah. Um, because it seems to be the way that they move through life. Like that is their emotional intelligence. And yeah. it is so hurtful. It is so destructive and uh, traumatizing for everyone in their wake. Yeah, 100%. So you dropped two um, words that I, I don't think a lot of people are, are familiar with is trauma bonding and love, love bombs. Love bombing. Or, mm-hmm. Yes. And so <laughs> let's talk a little bit about those. 
love bombing. And we all experience when we're first dating, there's this constant texting, constant communication, there's gifts, there's flowers, there's trips, there's all the things. And in a healthy relationship, love bombing is pretty moderate. It's not like boom, 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 you're getting all this stuff. Like if you have work, that particular partner will let you work and leave you alone. The narcissist will continue to text you and not care if you have work or, you know, they'll keep you up all late at night, you know, even knowing that you do have to wake up early and work. Like there's all these things where they just kind of don't care about you as a person. And there's these tiny little signs. There's another sign. They're not respecting you as a person. They just want what they want. But when they're love bombing, you think, well, all this attention is so amazing. Like mm. <laughs> I want more. It's kind of like they, they're pouring in this drug, this dopamine hit in your brain. And it's amazing. Like have someone say that you're beautiful and you're so smart and all of the things that you've been wishing to hear from a partner, like mm-hmm. all come on so fast. It feels like a Disney romance and, you know, that mm-hmm. there's a whole <laughs> problem with that setup of how quickly we're, we're conditioned. I think that these things happen quickly, but mm-hmm. they don't. I mean... You can have a connection with someone quickly, but the the relationship development needs time. Yeah. So that's that's the love bombing is literally they are throwing like poofs of love bomb at you like a just a barrage. Yeah. Of of um all the attention. It's and like everything you, that you're longing for and wanting and wishing they yeah. they they give you that in those moments. Yeah. And if you are weak and vulnerable, which they do go for those, right? They go for the grieving, either widow or someone in your, your life has passed. Yeah. You're, go, you're going for someone who is completely like me. I was completely naive and just <laughs> unaware of any awares of the world. They go for um, someone who's just recently broken up or divorced. Um, usually there's some type of like wound that they will plaster over and fill for you. Mm-hmm. And then that's the trauma bond. That's the hook. It's like, okay, but they did all this for me. They really love me. Like they did all this back in September. I know it's in there. I know they can do it. But unfortunately, they just did it for the show. They didn't do it because they truly cared for you and respected you. Mm -hmm. They did it as a tactic. And that's the hard reality to accept. Mm -hmm. But I still don't uh, quite understand the trauma bonding piece of it. So the trauma bond is, um, there's a little bit more to that. So they got you hooked in with the love bombing and then some conflict will come up in the relationship and they'll, uh, start to kind of, uh, talk down to you or they'll discard you. And you're like, wait, what, what's mm-hmm. going on? I don't understand why, you know, you're doing that. They'll like say something that you did, you did, you did this and this is, you know, all your fault. And you're like, yeah, but. You said that. Well, I guess gaslighting maybe may come in before trauma bonding. Yeah. So then they they start to make you feel crazy. They deny everything they do. They'll rewrite history, mm-hmm. and then you'll feel empty. You'll feel like the the walk away. You know, in this conflict, maybe someone even moves out. Like it depends on how intense this argument was. They walk away, um, and then you feel empty. Because they have given you so much dopamine that now that they're not with you, you feel empty. You feel kind of like you're coming down from a high of a drug. Mm. And so then this is why the no contact movement has been so huge. Because then if you reach out and have contact, that's that bond. That's like 
Yeah. I feel like I'm missing a piece of my body without you. I need to resolve this conflict with you. Mm-hmm. And then you like you think they're a normal person. And so then you try and resolve the conflict. But that's that hook, that bond of like, well, you can't leave me, really. Because then they'll do their manipulation tactics. Like yeah. for mine, it was if you just, you know, put more makeup on or if you just drank one more alcohol drink, then we'd be fine. Or if you just kind of were more open-minded, then our relationship will be fixed. And it's all fine. I forgive you. Come back. You know, it's like no big deal. Mm-hmm. Have, they're not holding, taking any responsibility on their end. They're right. still just blaming you, but you have so much of this bond and this hook to them. Like, okay, well, yeah, I believe them. I believe that I can fix this. And yeah. so then you keep going back and then you keep having conflict and you keep hoping. And, and so it's like this bond. Uh, it's kind of like a drug addict. It's just, it's just bond through trauma. They'll use those conflicts to manipulate you, to make you think that you are the problem and you can fix it. And so therefore, you're just constantly bonded to them. Yeah. There is this thing that they do with manipulation and turning things around and gaslighting so that you start questioning your own sanity. Um, mm-hmm. I know that happened to two of the women that were in the wake of that, of that guy's path. Um, three, actually no three personally. Um, and they <laughs> do, they, they, they start to question like if they're going nuts or are they imagining things? And, um, um, the blaming and the, the putting so far that you're like, am I the narcissist? Because they turn everything onto you. They project everything off and onto you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you then feel I like think you're taking like, crazy pills. Yeah. And then after the relationship, you have to unravel a lot of stuff to make sense of it. Yeah. I mean, 12 years passed and I feel still feel like Maybe I finally unraveled it. Like, do I have all the knots undone? Like, yeah. it's just so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts and it was talking about the impact that narcissists have on our children. And I really think that that's so important. And so sometimes I think that when we're in a relationship with somebody else and then we have kids, some people just kind of stop feeling the value of themselves in that relationship. And we can always see kind of our kids and how things are impacting our kids. Um, and so let's go there because if we can't think of how they're impacting us, then let's think about how they're impacting our children and what yeah. are they role modeling and what are they teaching and how are these kids going to come out of this and, and thrive as adults? Yeah. I mean, that's like the blessing and the curse of having you. Being able to see the light. You didn't see it this whole time that they were doing it to you, but you see it. They're doing it to their children. And if they're doing it to you, they're absolutely going to do it to their children. It's not like only to me and then not to my kids. It's mm-hmm. it just depends on, on what age stage that they do it. And it's usually when that child starts to develop their own autonomy, their own identity, because they, again, everything's transactional. Everything's ownership. So with a narcissist, their child is them. It's like a mini me. And that means they need to control them. They need to, you know, berate them or guilt them or do whatever they need to kind of get them to be just like them um, and be really upset at them when they're not like them or when they don't think like them. Mm -hmm. And it's just... It's so hard to witness. So that that's when you have to rise up and be like, OK, 
okay, am I letting this happen or am I not? Am I standing up for my child or am I just going to sit back and let it happen? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's really that hero's journey for the mother of realizing that and having open conversations with our children is the way that you can explain that's not okay. I think that's a little bit when they're a little bit older, I would say like eight and up is when you can have, start having those social yeah. conversations. I mean, the other, another narcissist that's in my life is a relative um, that I can't avoid. And she's very narcissistic and self-serving and everything's about her. And almost like when she doesn't get her way, she has tantrums and she gets angry. And so what's happening is everybody in the family is walking on eggshells around her and nobody is willing to set boundaries because the boundary setting is the most important thing to deal with the narcissist. But everyone is so terrified that she's going to blow up. She's literally like a tip ticking time bomb um, that everyone is kind of tiptoeing around her. Nobody's setting boundaries. Everybody's saying, well, I'll just do it until I can't take it anymore. And then I, and all the people that are in this, this woman's life, um, like everyone is walking on eggshells and yet outside of that circle of family, she's basically destroyed every single relationship and everything needs to revolve around her. And when it doesn't, things explode. And so it's a very explosive family. Um, and there are kids, there's these young kids in this, in this, it's the Mm -hmm. mom. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, for me, I just don't want to be around it. And so my husband and I have made a commitment that we just won't put ourselves in the same room as her because we aren't willing to subject ourselves to that. And we won't be treated like that. And we don't want to see it. We don't want to like be around that energy, but Mm. for what about the people that feel like they can't, they can't draw that boundary or they're so scared or how, how do, how do they deal with it? How do they take care of themselves? You know, what's so interesting is that the narcissist loves to control people and the way they know they're controlling you is through emotions. And like you said, she's like a ticking time bomb and everyone feels really uncomfortable. It's just like a natural thing when someone's upset and you have to not care. You have to not have any emotion, like drawing a boundary. They're they're not doing it because they know that she's not going to like it. And then she's going to be upset and then she's going to withdraw something, something Mm -hmm. that they're getting out of that relationship from her. Then she'll withdraw it. But if you don't care that you're not losing anything, right? You, so what if she's that, withdrawing family? Yeah. Her, that's her thing is she's yeah. withdrawing herself from her family. That's how she manipulates her family. And mm-hmm. the way she would um, manipulate the in-laws is withdrawing her children. It's so some, it's like you want a relationship with the rest of the family. So there's that tricky line. Yeah. It is really hard and tumultuous, but when you draw a boundary, you can't not follow through. Mm -hmm. So it's really your choice. Are you going to put up with it and like keep appeasing her? Are you going to draw a boundary and say, you know, no more? And that's really up to each individual's choice. You know, like maybe for the grandparent, it's like worth it just to continue to have that relationship with the children. But it definitely causes a huge, you know, wake and disturbance in the whole family dynamic because now it's affecting you and you're like, I'm not going to go there. Like, so now they're missing out on that relationship with you. Yeah. So there's these sacrifices. But for you, you're not willing to put up with it anymore. Yeah. So if someone still needs to interact with them, it's all about grace. Why are boundaries so important here? Boundaries are so important because right now she's ruling the show. 
And if there is no boundaries, then there is the whole family is toppled upside down. But drawing the boundary takes a lot of guts and courage. And then holding that boundary takes even more. And then whatever the consequence is to that boundary is what's going to really be the follow through. If you, you know, that's going to create peace. That's going to create like a semblance of anchoring in the family. And if the grandparents aren't doing that, there's always going to be chaos. Mm. Um, And she really does want to have that interaction and control of her family because she, through her uh, unhealthy coping skills of the narcissist, she's kept a bond with them versus everyone else. She's not. Mm -hmm. So with them drawing boundaries, like, whatever she's doing, you, you know, this is not appropriate. This is affecting our whole family. Then she does it there. There's that consequence of like, well, then this is not happening here. Next time we can't all get together. We'll have to do individual or yeah. I don't know what the example is. I mean, the theme with, with both of the narcissists is I think what, and I, and I don't know if this is for all narcissists, but they kind of pull whoever their target is. So say their partner They kind of pull them into like a little bubble of their own. So they fill them up with like love and attention and affection and all the things that they, you know, to kind of hook them in. Um, And then they um, somehow have pulled their entire support system and extended network away from them. So they've made their partner. Yeah. Yeah, They they made that partner's life like a little bit smaller, their support system, their friend system, their family system. That um, is a very normal tactic. It is a normal tactic. Yeah. Because I've seen it with both of them. Because again, like if they, if that partner is getting what the narcissist use as, we call it in this industry supply, like love, attention, some type of support from someone else, since the narcissist is so insecure, they think, well, then they won't ever need me or like they'll stop coming to me for that or They'll just leave me one day and discard me because they don't need me for that. Mm -hmm. So that's their insecure attachment as a narcissist that isolates people um, that that they want so that they don't feel that pain of being left or discarded or feeling like they don't have any meaning or worth. Mm -hmm. They believe that, well, you're just going to leave me if you have support somewhere else. So they isolate you and they control you. And, And also, for mine, in my instance, all my friends would say, hey, he's not treating you right, right? So therefore, when you mm-hmm. gain support and advice outside right. of them, mm-hmm. then they can't abuse you anymore. They can't do whatever they're doing at home because you are learning and seeing and gaining that support that that's wrong. So mm-hmm. then they have to start owning up or changing, which they're never going to do. So, you know, it's like a vicious cycle. Yeah. So they try and keep you as isolated as possible so that they can still do whatever they want to do. Well, I heard this in your podcast too. There's this excuse like, oh, they're in therapy. From my background in social work and understanding that these personality disorders develop, um, I'm not sure if there's enough self-awareness or insight available to a true narcissist for them to actually create meaningful change. And I hate to say that like people can't change because I'd like to think that all people can change. Um, is there hope to make a relationship with a narcissist work? That's a tough one. I'm, I'm going to say no, 99.9% of the time, but so just a blanket. No. And that's what they're hoping that you hope for. That's what's keeping you with them still is you're hoping 
they will change. They will heal. They will heal that childhood wound that they have in some random vulnerable moment exposed to you. But then they hide it real quick again. So then you hold on to the hope even more. But they, they really don't. I mean, there's only been one, and I don't even know still, right? He was so convincing. So maybe he wasn't either. But he had a near-death experience, and he definitely claimed that he was narcissistic. And now he's this uh, um, yogi, like he did an ayahuasca retreat after his, his near-death uh, experience. And now he feels like he's a changed man. And in the conversation, he seemed, he was interviewed on my podcast. But I don't know in his psyche, I don't know in his brain, in his depth, yeah. if he really has changed or not. But you have to look at how their actions, right? What are their actions? And that's going to really be the litmus test of if they've changed. Yeah. But no, true NPD, it's like it's locked in at 18 and that's how they view the world. And that's what they think that they are entitled to. And good luck changing it. If you want to deal with it, then you just put up with it. Yeah. If you don't, then they're. There's really no hope and there's no need for you to continue to be abused and mistreated and essentially pushed down, right? You can't be yourself. You can't thrive when you're with someone who needs you to be pushed down so that they can feel like a person. Yeah. And it's so it's so interesting because these people are so different. I think that one is is like a ticking time bomb that you're walking on egg chills and she's going to explode any minute. Once she gets close to people, it's pretty obvious pretty soon. Like there's no hiding it anymore. Like there's no honeymoon period with her anymore. Um, where my friend, it was so charming. Like he's just so charming and so kind and so present and so emotionally um, available going into those relationships and then able to like hide it for quite a long time. So they're, they present so differently. Um, it's almost like, yeah, I, I, there should be some type of like study on this, but that they, they do whatever they need to do to get their needs met. So this particular, you know, the woman, whatever's worked for her is what she continues to do, which probably started in childhood mm-hmm. is Stomping temper tantrums. Having tantrums. Yes, totally. Yes. She's like an adult yes. having temper tantrums every yes. day. Yeah. And it's worked. So why stop? Like, I'm just going to continue to do it the rest of my life because it works and it's working. Whereas yeah. for him, it's more about the chase because he discards, like he chases, he conquers, and then he discards. Yeah. Like, I actually think it's almost <laughs> like, yeah, I think it is like that. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, um, going to find this woman and then she's going to resist me because she had a little resistance. And then I'm going to make her fall in love with me to where she marries me. And then right after she marries me, I'm going to leave. Like there's this, um, and he would also morph for every relationship. So if one person Mm -hmm. was into like concerts and going out to eat, then he would be to that. If the next person was vegan, he'd probably become vegan. Like he would just morph and become whatever, Hmm. you know, partner he was supposed to be. And that's that conquering is what was meeting his emotional needs from something way back in childhood. And then once he got it, like the toy, then he's like, oh, I don't actually really need real commitment. So he's just going to leave and find someone else. And it's like the pattern repeats because they're so unself-aware. Let's talk about gaslighting because I, I'm, I'm, I've always heard of the, you know, the word gaslighting. And then I just realized that there was something going on in my life that, that I had to deal with, with, with gaslighting. Um, and it's so subtle. And I feel like it's those moments that make us question our own sanity sometimes. Like, am I going crazy? Did I say that? Like, is that true? And, um, or in a relationship, like shutting down and not sharing because 
um, you're worried how that person is going to respond and react. So can you well, talk about it, what that is like gaslighting for people that aren't really familiar of what it's like to be the recipient of that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you express your true feelings and then there's negative reactions to that, right? You're either guilted, you're shamed, uh, something is removed from you like children or uh, mine was like vacations or gifts, like things are then revoked. Um, so then you, you're not going to say what you want to say because that's been a track record. And this is probably what's happening with a female in your family. Bad things happen when you speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Gaslighting is narcissists won't take responsibility. So it is essentially their tactic to get away with everything and not take responsibility, not change and convince you to stay. So they have to gaslight you because they have to rewrite history. Like you observed this happened. He actually did this right in front of your face. And then you will bring it up. Like, well, maybe you won't bring it up that day, right? Because you've had this negative responses. You're afraid to say it. But then it's like conscious keep pushing on you. It's like, just bring it up. Just say it. That was so wrong. So then maybe a day or two later you do. And they're like, I didn't do that. Yeah. No, you got it wrong. And like, mm-hmm. they literally will. Or you're overreacting or. They will. Yeah. It's crazy. They will literally rewrite history. And you're like, I should have had that recorded. I should have gotten on videotape because now I'm wondering, did it really happen? Because they are so adamant yeah, and they just blatantly lie to you about things. And then you're like, I don't know what's true anymore because they're, they're so convincing. They are so adamant. So, I mean, yeah, that's gaslighting for you. Or you're, you're, you're making that up. You're overreacting. You're making a big thing out of nothing. That's not really a thing. Like my friend was questioning um, if this guy was cheating on her. You know, women, we have this intuition and you really have this strong intuition and you really feel like something's going on. And we're always taught like that's a really important thing to trust. And mm-hmm. then you would bring it up and then the response would be, oh, you're overreacting. It's you make a big deal out of everything. You're blowing this up. It wasn't a big deal. I'm just it was just a friendly, whatever, you're jealous. And then they start questioning their own, not only their own like truth, but then their own integrity of, of all these different ideas. They start questioning everything. You put it, you put the nail on the head. It is what they do is not just deny the action. They will then character shame you and Mm -hmm. whoever's involved. That's what would happen with my friends would tell me like, he shouldn't treat you like that. And then I would go home and say, you shouldn't treat me like this. And then he would character bash, throw them all under the bus, convince mm-hmm. me why. Like he would like provide credible evidence, which it wasn't really real evidence. It was mm-hmm. just speculation about why I shouldn't listen to those people. So it's always character bashing to you or to someone else for you to doubt yourself and for you to not believe what you, you just five seconds ago believed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to see people in these relationships. It's hard to see people like not, not stuck in the relationship with a narcissist. And it just feels like when I think of my um, friends and family, it just feels like a very like trapped, suffocated feeling. um, And almost like a little bit of a helplessness on top of that. Yeah. And I would say if there's any way to find compassion for your friends that you had to separate from, like I lost so many friends, so many, they tried to help. And then I would turn against them because Mm -hmm. he would convince me that they were a bad person and they shouldn't get involved. And 
they just were so hurt by it. And I, it is, it was suffocating for them to see because then I would go after their character. But it's, it's not like narcissists trap the smartest of people. I just interviewed mm-hmm. an attorney and her episode is out today on the podcast. Like she, she was in the background of domestic violence, but she still fell for two narcissists. Like they are so cunning. Yeah. They know what they're doing. So the the weakest, the smartest, the strongest, it doesn't matter. If there's one little hole in that armor, they will find it. So I have great compassion for those who have, I guess, as myself, have been abused because it's not something you really asked for. You just yeah. had such a big heart and you had so much hope in what that person yeah. was selling you that it's really hard. It it feels almost like another betrayal of once you've left that relationship that everyone around you like also left you and ditched you. And I get it. I get why, but it feels like why couldn't they have just been there for me? But you're right. It's because it's painful to watch and it's suffocating and yeah, it's so hard. I did mend things with that friend after they broke up. Um, It's not ever going to be the same, but we mended things and, and, um, and she's same, like what you said, she thought he had changed that it was different with her. Um, and he yeah. hit it for a lot longer than the other women. Um, but you know, he did, he, he's so charming. He's like one of the coolest guys. If, if he didn't have this character trait, I mean, he's one of the greatest yeah. guys ever. He has so much yeah. to offer. And, um, yeah. and I'm like, I know. Like he's super charming and he's and he, when he's on, he's on, he's giving you all that attention and he was emotionally vulnerable. So he could go there. He just couldn't take ownership. So like mm-hmm. with all the other women, they were crazy and, you know, yeah. all five wives that he's had now, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was always them. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, and he's got children and he's role modeling this as a dad just jumping from relationship to relationship and getting married and like throwing these women out and not looking back and leaving a path of destruction. And his children are being role modeled that this is, this is what relationships look like and that there's no value in the, the marriage. Mm, I know it's so sad. And for that, the only thing we can do is as the mother who stayed back in the the wake of everything is just, Be that solid anchor of emotional intelligence. Work on yourself for yourself, but also to really be that guide for your children and say, you know what? Because one day when they get older, especially in teenage years, the narcissist will do something uh, and the the child's, I don't know, sparkly glasses will drop and be like, I can't believe he did that, right? And then that's that moment where that child will start to gain clarity on what is healthy, what is not. But it really takes the other partner to, to continually talk about, you know, healthy behaviors, emotional intelligence, you know, making sure that those children take responsibility in your home, mm-hmm. you know, may not happen in the other home. Yeah. And then they'll see one day like, wow, like dad's really messed up. Like I, I don't want anything to do with him anymore or I'm not going to be like that or whatever it is. But yeah. I feel like there's always hope, at least if there's one strong, emotional, anchored parent. Mm hmm. I feel like this whole like narcissistic personality disorder is just getting tossed around a lot lately, but then there's like the people that have this true disorder, um, that's really destructive. How do you, how do you distinguish when somebody's really in a dysfunction and that dysfunction can't necessarily be helped with meds and therapy? 
I think that's a really, really good question because I just tossed around so much and I'm guilty of it myself the last couple of years. If the other person is willing to have difficult conversations and take ownership of their part, Mm, then that's an extremely broken person that maybe you haven't talked to for a while, but you are able to work through it because you took your ownership of side, they took theirs. If they're continually not taking ownership and pushing it off on excuses or blaming you or whatever, then that definitely is someone that potentially mm. would be diagnosed as NPD. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. The ownership. NPD, or you said, I think before too, they could take ownership. And say they're going to go to counseling, but then look at their behavior. So yeah, just because they said actions. it, will their behavior change? Will their actions change? So I think ownership is yeah. the thing because narcissists can't take ownership. So if they do take ownership, is it true ownership? Like, yes. Are you willing to look at this? Are you willing to go to therapy? Are you willing to go to couples counseling? Are you truly willing to like dive in and go into that space? Or are you just yeah. saying that and nothing's going to change and we're just going to go back the way we were before? Exactly. Because it'll always be like another excuse, another excuse, or to be like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Mm-hmm. That wasn't, yeah. I'm sorry I did this. There was yeah. no action taking responsibility. That was just an, I, that was a, a fake, I'm sorry. That was a fake apology. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's looking at that ownership and seeing if change happens over time. Yeah. And if it doesn't, you're not going to change somebody else. Yeah. They exactly. have to change themselves. If it can't happen, then you're, then you're, then you're looking at self-preservation. Exactly. You're looking at gray rock, boundaries, limited time, putting them outside your circle, not sharing with them personal information that you, that they will use against you later. Those are all things that will help you survive with a narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. So you've written two books about narcissism. Do you want to share your books and what they're about? Absolutely. The first one is called Empath and the Narcissist. It's backwards, sorry. But um, this is How to Overcome Narcissistic Abuse. It's a memoir. It has the definitions of all the different types of narcissism, different abuse. Um, And I do at the end of each chapter have an exercise that helps me heal spiritually. This is a spiritual book. This isn't like a psych book. It definitely Mm -hmm. has definitions, but it's a very spiritual bend. Um, And the very last chapter I have I, I discovered human design and it really helped me kind of go, oh, that's, that's who I am. That's like where I'm vulnerable. Um, and so I have a, the, a, the last chapter is just like a brief, like what human design is and a little bit of summary of everything. And then the follow-up book is because everyone kept asking me like, how do I learn more about human design? And it's a bend, it's a follow-up, um, a guidebook, Empath's Guide to Rising Strong. And it has four sections. It's got shadow work with got the story of goddess Anana. Again, this is a very spiritual book. It's like a journal. It's a guidebook. It helps you through the healing process. It has powerful meditations in here. And then the last part is it has moonology, like how to harness the moon to help you heal. And then the last part is all about human design. Like I go through all the gates and all the different parts. So you can go through your chart and the book. You can color in it, write in it, take notes um, and learn about it. So. Yeah, very cool. How do people contact you and um, and find you if they wish to connect? The best way is my website, ravenscott.show, because I'll have all my links to all my socials there. You can grab your free chart. I have a the, the free book offer as well, The Empath's Guide to Rising Strong, a free ebook, and then I'll also create a little mini personalized human design chart. Some- oh, yeah. 
yeah and then yeah perfect find me all of my socials yeah. yeah thank you for listening to the connected community podcast if you enjoyed today's episode please like share and subscribe I can be found at www.nikkiyyoga.com, N-I-C-K-Y-Y-Y-O-G-A.com. Until I see you again next week, I hope you have a beautiful day.